Sorry. All of a sudden I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Let's move on. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Writing in Real Life, your weekly podcast about parenthood, publishing, writing, and marriage. I am your host, Barry Liga. With me, of course, is my co-host and my wife, Morgan Baden. Hello, Morgan. Hello, Barry. Hello. So we have some good news to start off with. Which is Yes, which is that you have been promoted. I have. Congratulations. Thanks. So your new title, uh, I have it written down here, is... Uh, Queen of the Andals and the First Men, Khaleesi of the Great Grass Sea, Breaker of Chains and Mother of Dragons. Hey, I'm sorry. That's Daenerys <laughs> from Game of Thrones. I always get the two of you confused. I always mix up you and Daenerys from Game of Thrones. I'm sorry. That's, that's my bad. That's fine. That's my You're not bad. the only one. So, I know. I know. You know. So, but no, your new title is? Vice President of Corporate Communications. Congratulations. Thanks. So there you go, everybody. Now, uh, now, now Morgan is, is Veep, and we hope you'll do better than Selena Meyer. <laughs> I think it's funny that you had some fun with Game of Thrones, considering two weeks ago I decided to stop watching Game of Thrones. Well, and that was partly what caused me to do it, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I know, I know. Now, Sunday nights at 9, I'm on my own to watch Game of Thrones. Yeah, you know what? Look at it this way. That is an hour I can go right. That, there you go. There you go. I am happy to hear that, and I think everybody listening to the podcast is happy to hear that because we would all oh, rather sure you be all writing. Dying for me to go be writing. That's why they're listening. That's <laughs> why they're listening. Actually, we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, I want to talk about that a little bit right now about who is listening to this show and why and how. We had a cool tweet last week. Well, we had a very cool tweet. A gentleman named Per. Which is a, a fine, respectable, upstanding Scandinavian name. I think it means rock or stone. Uh, but I, I have to apologize because every time I hear the name Purr, there's an old supervillain called Purr Degaton. So every time I hear the name Purr, I think of Purr Degaton. Anyway, I'm sure this guy is not a time-traveling villain trying to rule the world. He tweeted us out of nowhere and said that because of the podcast, he had discovered my books mm -hmm. and, of course, had discovered you. And this blew me away. I cannot lie. This completely blew me away. Really? Well, when we started this podcast, I sort of assumed, I don't know what your assumptions were, but I assumed that the people listening to it would be either uh, fans of mine or friends of yours. Right. Um, I assumed that in terms of fans of mine, it would be more industry people, library people, that sort of thing, because generally... Not to stereotype too much, but generally I think teenagers would not be terribly interested right, yeah. in the topics of parenthood and yeah. marriage and so on and so forth. So I figured, yeah. you know, bookstore owners, maybe the, the, those sorts would be listening and then friends of yours would be listening. And we know that that's true, but I never in a million years thought that somebody would discover my novels because of the podcast. Mm -hmm. The other way around, sure. Crazy? That blows my mind. I don't I don't even know how he discovered the podcast. I think that's the power of a hashtag. It could be yeah. the power of a hashtag. It's entirely possible. I think it's funny too. We were at a wedding over the weekend and friends, acquaintances, uh, people I don't spend a lot of time with but know on Facebook and know socially and sure. see once a year or so, um, commented on our podcast. Right. And I was like, what? unbidden. It's not like yeah, we were walking yeah. around with signs saying, ask me about my podcast. Right. I mean, it, it was really interesting. Although those t-shirts are getting made as we speak. Yes. So. They will be available for nineteen ninety nine. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, it, it's just, it's neat. It, 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 you know, 
it's sort of a meta topic. We don't want to go too deep no, into don't. the meta topics, no but one cares. but we feel we feel a kinship with our audience. We like we our just audience. Want to say thanks. And we exactly we just want to say thanks. However, you came to us. Thank you for listening. We do. We started doing this because we thought it would be fun, and it's really it's rewarding. Terrible. No, it's terrible. It's really rewarding that people from all over the place that we couldn't have imagined listening are listening. So yeah, hey, tweet at us, send us send us an email or something. Tell us how you discovered this podcast because apparently there's people out there listening. We had no idea mm-hmm. we're listening, which is really cool. Okay, so. I also want to do a little bit of follow-up on some things we've talked about in previous podcasts, one of which, last time we talked about, does Barry need a hobby? (laughs) You surprised me by bringing this up, (laughs) and then you threw it out to the listenership to come up with a hobby for me. I am glad to say nobody responded to that. That's true. Nobody cares if I have a hobby or what it is. No one cares. That's fine. Which is good and interesting because... Right after the podcast, I realized I do have a hobby. It's called the podcast. Which is the podcast. (laughs) So that's fine. I don't actually need a hobby. The podcast is hobby enough. But, you know, Paul, you know Paul. He's one of our listeners. He commented and took me to task because we were talking last time about when does your writing go from being a hobby to being something more. Uh Uh-huh. And Paul took me to task for calling you a hobbyist in terms of writing. He did, yeah. Now, I didn't actually call you that. You just said, am I, is this a hobby to me? And I said, yes. <laughs> I was just answering a question. But he's right, but for the wrong reason. Well, don't try to back up and give excuses. Fortunately, I can cut that part out. <laughs> he's right, but for the wrong reason. Okay. It's not a hobby for you, but not for the reasons he says. It's not a hobby for you because... In the moment while we were talking, and we were talking specifically about the book that you're working on and revising, but it just blanked out of my mind that you've published books as a ghostwriter, but you've published books. You've published pieces of writing before. I've been paid for writing. You've been paid for writing on a somewhat regular basis. So I would say it's not a hobby for you. It's a a sideline that you're trying to make bigger and more important. So there you go. Get off my back, everybody. (laughs) So... I hope everybody feels better now. I do wonder, though, why it sort of matters. Like, with certain things, like with, with the arts in particular, I feel like people are very, very sensitive about the labels that that are put on them or that they put on themselves. Aren't we all just generally sensitive about labels? I guess. I just don't understand why it matters so much in this context. Yeah. You know? Um I, you know, I mean, you, you write, you don't write, you get paid, you don't get paid. At the end of the day, you know, it's between you and your accountant. I mean, other than for tax purposes, does it really matter? Well, it matters for identity purposes, sure. Well, but then in that case, if if everybody is just identifying themselves as a writer, I guess that I guess that's why some of these questions come up that that baffle me and amuse me. We've talked about this in the past, where, for example, I will meet somebody new. And we will exchange pleasantries and they will ask what I do for a living. And I will say, I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, what do you write? And well, I'll no, say, I, I always feel like the number one follow-up question that you get to that is, oh, have you been published? Well, well, usually they'll say, what do you write? And I'll say novels. Uh-huh. Okay. And then, yeah. And then the, the, the next question is, oh, have you published any? And I'm like, you just asked me what I do for a living. <laughs> and I right. said, I'm a writer right. and I write novels. Yeah, I've published them. So... It's it sort of I guess devalues the term if we just throw it out there to mean anything, you know. Mickey Spillane of all people. I don't one, know what that is. Uh, What's a Mickey Spillane? 
I I will put it in the show notes. Okay. Mickey Splane once said that that uh, you know a writer is just somebody who writes, but a novelist is somebody who has been published. Right, writer versus author. Right, writer versus mm-hmm. author. Well, he, he he quibbled with that because he he felt like he was not good enough to be called an author. He mm-hmm. felt like that was for people like like John Updike. John okay. Updike is an author. Mickey Splane was. What's a John Updike? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Totally kidding. <laughs> now I feel bad, Mickey, wherever you are. I, I'm deducing from this conversation that you're a writer. The very so famous, a very famous noir mystery author oh, from the from the fifties. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so moving on. This past weekend, we went to uh, D.C. for a wedding. Mm-hmm. Drove down, drove back. The drive down was great. The drive back. Oh my goodness. Not so well. Well, but also let's let's rewind too because this was the first time it was a big deal. It was. This was a long car ride for her. Yeah. And it was the first time that she was with a babysitter. Yeah. Okay, my tremendous. Okay, your mother. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the first time she was with a babysitter for a very important part of her day, which is bedtime. Bedtime, yeah. And the bedtime routine and the final feed and everything. So you and I were pretty nervous about it. Yeah, I mean, I think justifiable or understandably so yeah, not yeah, justifiably yeah. but understandably i mean so. i wasn't quaking in my boots no. but, but it was a it was on my mind sure we were worried you know would she go to sleep if mm-hmm. somebody else was putting her to sleep if in neither one of us were there room. in a strange yeah. hotel room in a really weird tiny crib that sort of looked like a cage in some it ways. looks like if any of you listeners have ever been to sleep no more do you remember the children's nurseries it looks like the crib belonged in one of those. And so I immediately just had some chills of, of terror running down my spine. But, um, but yeah, so it was, it was weird, but she did a great job. She did fabulously. She's so Which amazing. Which makes me think we're not all that necessary. Yeah. I mean, you were, Barry was a little upset because, uh, <laughs> well, I said before she actually, <laughs> before we actually knew everything had gone well, I said, there's a part of me that doesn't want this to go well <laughs> because then I will feel redundant. <laughs> Anyway, so we had a great night. Um, it was a lovely wedding. Congratulations, Vanessa and Steve. They're listeners, so they hi, are. guys. Yeah, and um, and the next day, we I guess I thought, oh, the worst was behind us. Because she we did great it. on the car drive down. Yeah. The car ride down, she was fine, and obviously she was great in the hotel. Yeah. She woke up a few times in the night. In the know, morning. In yeah, the morning. It was fine. With, yeah. You know, but it was no big deal. Yeah. Uh, and then we got stuck in an absolutely insane amount of traffic. Twice. Well, in every to, state to, except yeah. every state except New Jersey, which is kind this is of true. hilarious. That's, yeah, that's very strange. The Jersey Turnpike always has some traffic, right? And instead, that was the only place that was smooth the only sailing, traffic so. in New Jersey was the line for the women's restroom at the restaurant. <laughs> true, that true. was a crazy traffic jam. No, but seriously, uh, you know, we both I think we both felt pretty bad for the baby because she's she's cooked up in this yeah. in this chair. This she's this a mover. She like stretch her legs, yeah. and it was tough for her, but. I, I have to say, I was so proud of her. She was wonderful. We were so late uh, getting home, and Damn. we wanted to be home in time for her bedtime. That did not happen. We, <laughs> not rolled, even on, close. we rolled on in at ten thirty. Not even close. And um, but but I think my favorite part was you and I were in the back seat, and my mom and sister were in the front seat. And uh, at around seven thirty, I had just given her. We had just stopped at the rest stop. I gave her some food, and um, and we were hoping she would go to sleep. It was bedtime. So right. even though she was in the crib, I feel like you and I looked at each other and had this moment of like, 
oh, let's let's do what we can. Of the bedtime routine. Yeah. And so we did. And we did a, an extremely modified version. But this is great. I mean, we just talked, had a whole episode about routines and yeah. how important they are. And this really shows it because... Because, well, first of all, she, we were doing some things and she was looking at us with the funniest expression. She was like, you guys, this, this is wrong. What this are you This is doing? not the right place for this. Yeah. We're in the car still. Right. And then I... I swear, like, I just saw it in her eyes. She got it suddenly. She was like, oh, you're giving me permission to go to sleep. Yep. I'm taking it. Yep. And her, her lids grew heavy. And as we finished our song, she closed her eyes and, and fell she asleep. conked out right there in the car for... Two hours? A couple hours. Yeah. yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. And then we got her home and we did it again. Yep. This time properly. Yep. And she went to sleep again. Yep. And, and was great. Yeah. And it really, again, it's the power of the routine. Uh-huh. It's... I mean, I guess you could look at it cynically and say it's the power of programming your child. But, you know. We are all programmed. Either way. Either way. <laughs> and and it was great. And, yeah. and the traffic was terrible. Yeah. There's no question about that. It was it was a miserable experience. It should have taken us four hours to get home. It took us about eight. Eight and a half. I think. About eight, yeah. Eight, mm-hmm. eight and a quarter, yeah. something like that. And it was, God, it was, just, was bad. It was bad. It was yeah. bad. Every time we turned around, there was more traffic and it was just awful. Yeah. But she was amazing. And it was really amazing to watch, you know, as a parent to sit there with her because we were stuck too. We couldn't mm-hmm. do anything or go anywhere. But just to sit there and watch her cope, sort of, yeah, cope and yeah. deal with it and just accept, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Hey, I got my parents. I'm cool. This yeah. is all fine. And she was good as gold. Yeah, she was. Yeah. So speaking of parenting, yes, uh, you wrote a blog post last week that I loved, uh-huh. and I wanted to raise that and, and talk about it. Okay. So it was a response, essentially, to an article called Every Day is a Disaster. Now, I really liked this initial article, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I sympathized with a lot of, of the emotions in that piece, and I saw some other moms we know tweeting it, and... Um, That's how I saw it. You, exactly. You yeah. retweeted somebody, mm-hmm. a mom we know, who tweeted it yeah. in the first place. But then you wrote a response, and I really liked it, and I, I'm wondering if you can talk about it. Yeah. I'm, you know, my response is obviously only from my point of view, which is the only way you can respond to something like this. But I wrote a piece called Every Day is Not a Disaster. <laughs> we'll link to it in the show notes. And really, I think – I don't think I was saying anything dramatically different than what she was saying. Her, her name's Laura June. Um, I don't know that – I was saying anything dramatically different. I was just coming at it from a different perspective. Right. Which was the perspective that every day is only a disaster if you believe that to be the case. And if you think that that is true. And that your day as a stay-at-home parent is less about how your child behaves or acts and more about how you respond to how your child behaves and reacts. Mm-hmm. If Because... If your child is the best kid in the world, but you just lose your temper that day, that's a bad day. And the kid had nothing to do with it. And if your kid is a nutcase one day, but you handle it with a plum, that's a great day. Yeah. And that's sort of how I feel. And trust me, I am more surprised than anybody to hear these words coming out of my mouth because I am known as something of a pessimist and a cynic. And if you had said to me, three months ago, Barry, you're going to be fine being a stay-at-home dad five days a week. Not just fine, but you're going to flourish yeah, in I, that role. You know, I, it's not for me to say that I'm flourishing, but, but well, it's I'm... It's for me to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. But I'm certainly enjoying it a lot more than I thought I would. 
I'm being productive. I'm getting work done every day. And I feel good about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, very early on when you were back at work for your transition leave, when you were back at work part-time, I felt like those three days a week you weren't here were really hard. Mm -hmm. And I felt like most of the time when you got home, I was sort of like uh, like Eeyore or, or, or like Ross from Friends. <laughs> Hi. Oh, it was a bad day again. That's Russ from Friends. Russ, yeah. <laughs> and now that you're back at work full time, five days a week, it has somehow become easier. Yeah. Which I didn't think would be the case at all. But it's become easier and more pleasant and, and pretty much every day is a pleasure. Well, here's the thing. There's been a very marked shift in you from prior baby to now. Um, and not even just prior, but the first couple of months, I don't think it's any surprise to anyone that, uh, you know, that's an adjustment period. Yeah, of course. Sure. Um, you and I never fought until we had a baby. Right. And of course, then you're fighting. It's because you're exhausted yeah. and overwhelmed and, and, whatnot. and, and also because you can't, there, there's no way to know who's right. Yeah. So you yeah. just keep arguing, right. but you can't, you can't prove no anything. Uh, Nobody wins because uh, there's nothing, there's. There's no definitive truth or proof. Right. And and so you just keep going around and around and around. Right. And it's just maddening. But one of the things that we argued about was that you were so stressed and tense. Yeah. Those first early days. Sure. Now, I was too. Yeah. I think I... But well, when I'm tense and we, stressed, I, I get more emotional. We deal with these things differently. Exactly. And, and I have no shame in admitting this. I am not good with sleep deprivation. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm just, you know, I, I actually have a lifelong history of sleep issues uh -huh. and you know, when it's just day upon day and week upon week of, of very little sleep and a lot of interrupted sleep and everything. And just, you know, my last nerve is just frayed beyond mm -hmm. belief. And yeah, yeah, I've got a hair trigger and it's, and, and I'm just a basket case. Yeah. Um, so yeah, certainly those, that, those first like, Two months. Two months. Mm -hmm. I was about to say two months. Yeah. yeah. We agree on that. Yeah. But those first two months, yeah. You know, I just, I, I wanted to, to jump through a window without opening it first. Right. Make right. it hurt extra on the way down, you know? <laughs> but it's been really special and that sounds cheesy, but it's really special watching you flourish. Like I said, in this role, I think there, you have this whole new aura about you. You have a confidence and a, a, a really nice assuredness. This is starting to sound like a commercial for like a cologne or something. I know. No, but seriously, it's just really... Dad for men. <laughs> it's just really neat to watch. And it, so that's why I think that came across well in your in your response piece about every day is not a disaster. Because it's true. It's all about the perspective you're, you have as a parent and your own attitude. I, I just feel like there, there tends to be two kinds of parenting writing out there. And... Don't write in and show me how I'm wrong about this. And you saw this thing on a blog. I know there's more than two. I'm saying in general, I'm speaking in generalities, go flog me. Anyway, it seems to be either one, oh my God, my kids are the most amazing thing in the world. And my little one threw the cat off the roof yesterday, but I don't care because my kid is so amazing and has changed my life forever. And I wasn't alive until the, my kid came along. special snowflake theory there's, of parenting. There's that. Mm -hmm. And then there is the, oh my God my life is such a wreck now. And not only am I not ashamed to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you over and over in nauseating detail. And I'm counting down until they go to college. Until, yeah, yeah. until you agree that I am right to tell you this. Okay. And I just feel like there's another way. I feel like, yeah, your kid is wonderful and your kid can be a demon from hell. 
But it's not about that. It's yeah. about how you react. It's mm-hmm. about your response. It's And it's not about trying to get the world to agree that your kid is a special snowflake or trying to get the world to agree that you have every right to be pissed off and aggravated because you're a parent. No. Yeah. Stop trying to get the world to agree to things. Just figure out, <laughs> figure out what you need and do it. Yeah. And... I can say that because I didn't come to that intentionally. I didn't sit down and come up with that. It just happened one day. And, and you know, there's nothing special. I didn't do anything amazing. It just happened one day. And, again, I am more shocked than anybody to hear these words coming out of my mouth. Because if you had come to me three months ago, I would have said, oh, yeah, we're going to have a nanny, you know, before Memorial Day. Right. Because I'm not going to take it. And instead, I'm like, I got this. Yeah. I got this. It's fine. It's awesome. It's fine. So, yeah. So that's good. Good work. Thank you. So speaking of parenting, I want to bring up something Julia, who uh, uh, is known to us, commented. And part of her comment, I won't go through the whole comment, but part of what she said was, I find that being a parent makes 90% of my small talk required situation so much easier. (laughs) She capitalized. She put in all caps, so much easier. So she really means it. (laughs) And I sort of like this small talk required situation. Like that, I I feel like we need, we need an acronym for that or something, or or (laughs) it needs to be a syndrome of some sort. Uh, Because as we have established on this podcast, I am not a fan of the people. And when I have to make small talk, it's, Really, really unbelievably painful. But what about, what about you? Do you find, you're a very, a very uh, generous person in terms of putting up with other people. And, uh, I did marry you. You did. This is true. And notice I'm not laughing because I know it's not a joke. It's true. Do you find it's easier to make small talk with people? It is the easiest entry into a conversation. And into a, a connection with a stranger. So, well, especially, but do you feel like that's only the case if they're a parent? Yes. Oh, yeah. only if they're a parent. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I tried it with somebody who wasn't a parent. And oh, it doesn't work. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. As, and it but, should, but but that's yeah. because I'm small talk disabled. Right. right. So I'm like, what have I got? Oh, I have a kid, and this person just looked at me like, I, like, why are you talking about yeah. sleep? I don't understand. No, I think yeah. it's. Uh, I think it was absolutely demonstrated at the wedding this weekend when, out of the blue. A woman who was seated across from us at the table, and this was a big table, so I yeah. literally had not yet spoken to her. Right. And it was a loud. It was a very it was loud. A very loud uh-huh. reception, yeah. Literally, I looked up, and she was hand- holding her phone out to me, yeah. and it had a picture of her nine-month-old son. Right. And I was like, I didn't know you had a baby, but great, I'm happy to look at him. Right. He was adorable. She knew that we had just had a baby because she was sitting next to my twin sister and they had been talking about babies. So, um, so it was just a funny thing of a funny reminder of like, Oh, right. This is, this is what you talk about with other parents, particularly of course, other new parents, newish parents. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely the easiest entry into a conversation. Uh, which is, which is great. If you need are in need of a small talk rescue, right. While you're waiting for your bagel. I don't know. Right. Well, and I have to say, you know, I, I owe an apology and I'll make it in public to, uh, to Eric Mortensen, a friend of ours who told me months ago before the baby came that this would happen, that that would be uh-huh. a consequence of having a baby, that small talk would become easier or at least less uh-huh. painful. Uh, and, and like me, he's not a fan of the people. <laughs> and I scoffed and said, I really, I don't even want to talk about my kid with other people. Like, I don't want to talk to people at all. <laughs> I still don't like making small talk with people, but I have to admit it's a hell of a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. 
you know. I think it also has to do with the fact that I want to talk about the baby all the time. Well, sure. Not all the time, but, I, you know, I'm so, obviously, I, I mean, the, the joke is, but it's true, we put her to, to bed at night. And then we sit down and show each other all the photos and videos we took of her that day. (laughs) Well, and then we look at her on the monitor. (laughs) So what's she doing? Oh, she's lying like this. Oh, look, she turned around. She's lying on this side now. Yeah, it's... it's, So obviously, you you know... know, when she does go off to college, we're going to have nothing to do. All right. Read all these books that we've got lying around I know. We'll finally watch House of Cards Season (laughs) 3. Wait for us, Netflix. 18 years. Yeah, please, wait, wait. Give us 18 years to catch up. No, it does make it it does make it easier. It it is tougher when it, it's still just as difficult though if the other person doesn't have kids because then you still have nothing to talk about. So, you, not I, me. I, <laughs> okay, I still have nothing to talk about. So I want to move on and talk um, talk about writing, and and I want to talk about something that was brought up to me the other day. My friend Alan Zadoff was visiting. He is a fine fine author. And he was talking about what book he was going to write next. And he was thinking about it and he had a bunch of different options and he wasn't sure. And he said, his, he talked to his agent about it and his agent posed a question to him. And I had never heard this question before. I'd never heard it posed this way before. And I'm, I don't even know what I think about it, but I want to bring it up to you. Okay. And you're hearing this for the first time. Yeah, I'm intrigued. And I want to get your read on it. And maybe people will write in and tell us what they think. But his agent said to him, where do you want to take your readers next? Ah. He said, you know, you've got some readers. They have read books of yours. They'll read your next book. Where do you want to take them? So you're like the shepherd of your readers. That's a really biblical reference for That's my second somebody like Bible you. reference in two days. That's like... I'm blowing uh, your mind you know, right Honestly, now. we might as well just baptize you right now because... <laughs> Pass. One, no. one more, one more, <laughs> and that's the Holy Trinity. And, you know, but I found it. A really interesting question it is. for a number of reasons. One of which is we have spoken before on the podcast about, do you let the fact that people are going to read your book affect your you writing? Write. And of course I say, hell no. But I feel like, I feel like this question is more nuanced than that. It is. Certainly. It's not, is it affecting? It's what do I not? It, it's not, what do I think they want and how can I give it to them? It's what do I want to do for them? Or to them. It, I mean, it presupposes that a writer is writing in service of readers. And I think that's a really cool perspective. Yeah. It, it you know, it, it, it's just, I don't know. I had no idea how to respond to that. And I just sort of stared at him for a minute. <laughs> and I said, we're going to talk about this on the podcast. And he went, okay, great. So, Alan, thank you. I don't know how to answer that question. I just feel like, for me... It made me sort of look at the way I approach books. And I realized that I've been, this might, might be too harsh and direct a word, but I've been sort of selfish the way I write books. Or maybe self-absorbed is a better term. I really, I just think, what do I want to do next? Right. What, what, what's in it for me? Yeah. What, what itch do I need to scratch? Mm-hmm. And I never thought of it in terms of, you know, where can I take my, where, fans? where can I take my readers? And that may be a distinction without a difference because the answer could be the same. Well, sure. But I, I, but it's I'm just really an interesting way right of, now. it's an yeah. interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. It's an interesting way 
of approaching the question of what do I write next? Now, obviously you have to take into account, you know, what do you feel compelled to write? What do you feel Mm -hmm. driven to write? But, you know, we talked for a while for about a month or so on the show about me trying to decide what I was going to write Mm -hmm. next. I had two different projects in mind and what I went through trying to figure that out. And before I settled on one and I, I don't know if I had applied that question, if it would have made the decision any easier, but it certainly would have added an interesting dimension to it. Yeah. You know, I, re- I really like this question Yeah, and the way it's, it's making me think, um, it scares me because I've been, it's been very easy for me to just focus on myself and just write whatever the hell I want every time. <laughs> and now suddenly I'm being forced to think about the fact that there are other people out there who not necessarily the ones who are going to read this book, but the ones who read the last book, Yeah, you know, and where what, do they want to go next? And it, well, no, yeah. it's not, it's not where do they want to go? It's where do, where I, do I want to take, take that? You know, and, and that's the nuance of the question yeah. because it isn't about trying to divine what the what readers want. want. Yeah. It's more a question of what can I do for them? Right. Yeah. Again, you know? writing in service. Yeah. Yeah. I, and huh. I don't, I have no idea how to answer this. And, and I'm not even sure that I know how to think about it. And that just interests me because I spend most of the t- my day thinking about writing and I, I never thought about it from this perspective before. I love that. So Alan, Alan's agent, I don't remember his name because people tell me names and they fly right out of my head. Um, good damn question. <laughs> <laughs> and I am sure we will bring this up again. We will. I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm quiet because I have a million thoughts running through my head right now about yeah, this. Her eyes are like wide open. Like her jaw is like <laughs> is slack. There's a little bit of drool. <laughs> nah, that's just Monday night. That's just Monday night. <laughs> Sorry. Right, we're definitely going to be coming back to that. So last but not least, before we, we wrap things up, let's talk about patience. Let's. Because that sort of hits every, all, all four quadrants of our show. Our show is about marriage parenthood, publishing, and writing. Yeah. And patience is crucial to all of them. Yes, it is. And we sort of learned that lesson yesterday when we were stuck in traffic Mm -hmm. for twice as long as we thought we were. I learned it today. I had several things going on at work that just kept hammering home to me this idea that um, I need some lessons in patience. Well, and in a way, I kind of feel like Leia taught us a lesson in patience, which is not something infants are renowned for, but she was so chill when the car just wasn't moving. Yeah. And it was sort of amazing to watch. So, I mean, obviously in a marriage, you need patience because, you know, your, your partner's not going to react or act quickly enough on something, or you have to wait for him or her, usually him to come around to something, you know, and it takes time and there's that. Well, and also at the wedding ceremony, which was lovely of our friends over the weekend, I think there's something nice about when you're a married couple um, going to a wedding ceremony and hearing someone else's service. Sure. And this is going to sound so cheesy, but it just, it, I I just felt very close to you sitting there listening to our friends getting married and and going through this. And um, it reminded me of our vows and, and how important those are and, and the things that you go through and patience is a part of that. And, right. you know, it's very vital, of right. course, to, to a marriage, especially to a marriage with, with new parents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> and parenting wise, I mean, patience, yep. there's never enough of it. No. And, you know, it's so funny. I was thinking today, um, 
you know how Leia and all babies have to learn things on their own. And she is a master now at rolling from front to back, but has not yet rolled from back to front. She gets close. She's so close. And here's the thing. Every time I see her doing it, I have to physically restrain myself. From reaching out and moving and just her just knocking arm. her over. Well, because all she has to do is move that one yeah. arm and she'll do it. Yeah. But she has to get there on her own. Yeah. And I keep having to say to myself, don't do it for her because right. then she won't learn. She needs right. to figure it out. And so it's just very funny. And she'll get there in her time. Of course you, you I'm know? not worried about yeah. it. It's just this funny thing of like, I, I want to help her do it. And right. then I realize, no, I have to be patient and let her figure it out on her own because yep. it's a skill she has to acquire herself. So. Yeah. It's just very funny. No, that's true. You know, I, um, this is a true story that every time I find myself getting very short tempered or very impatient, uh, for, for days or weeks at a time, I have to check myself and realize that I haven't gone to a yoga class in a while. Uh, and because there really is like a lasting effect, like a cumulative effect of yoga and, and Reiki too, of course. Um, where when I'm regularly practicing, that patience fills me and fills my life in a, a much more present way than when I'm not. And so I left work today and I was thinking to myself, like, today really tried my patience. And I, I was thinking, oh, I should really do some yoga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. I mean, when I go to the gym frequently, mm-hmm. I am much more clear-headed and, yeah. and relaxed yeah. and, and all of that. So yeah, it's definitely the case. Um, you know, with regard to everything, not just parenting, right, not just marriage, course, but with yeah. regard to everything, but patience as it applies to writing and publishing, well, I think, I think is something that a lot of people are blindsided by. So I did want to talk about that for a minute because I think people forget publishing is still very much a, uh, it's still very old media. It it's is. really old media. And even though everybody's got Tumblr pages and Twitter handles mm-hmm. now in publishing, it's a very slow business. You know, you write your book that takes a great deal of time. You revise your book that takes a great deal of time. You go get an you agent. Don't say. <laughs> <laughs> you go get an agent that takes time. You sell the book that takes time. And then you think, okay, now I'm done. Mm-hmm. Now it happens quickly. No, once you sell the book, it's at least a year yeah. before the book comes out. You've got to be able to chill during that time. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're going to go nuts. You know, I just announced The Secret Sea a few weeks ago, and I had to wait two years just to announce that book. That's so crazy. It, well, you know, we sold it a couple of years ago, and then there was some kind of glitch with the contract where. Somebody was taking too long to do something. I don't know what the thing is, but Mm -hmm. it just took forever. It should have taken a few months to get the contract nailed down. And instead it took close to two years. Yeah. And you don't want to announce something until you have the contract in your hand, because if something falls apart, then you feel like an idiot. So I had to wait two years to announce it. And then, you know, it's another year until the book comes out. You've got to be patient. And I think... Beyond being patient with the industry, you have to be patient with yourself. I was just going to say, beyond being patient with the process in the industry, you have to be patient with the work, too, and and your exactly. own process with the work. And that is something I am fully cognizant of at this point in my life. Yeah. Because your revision is taking longer than you would like, but we talked about this the other day. Yeah, yeah. And you were saying that- It's moving. It's going much better. It's actually better mm-hmm. than you thought when you actually let yourself think about it. Yeah. So patience is the name of the game. Yes. 
Exactly. In all of these things. In all of these things. Welcome to our new podcast. <laughs> Zen, Buddha, and the art of <sighs> writing. I don't know. We're like Don Draper now. <laughs> oh, spoiler. Spoiler alert. So, all right then. I feel good about that. I feel like we covered we covered a lot of little things instead of one big thing. We covered a lot of little things. So let's go ahead and uh, give people just a quick update okay. on where we are with our various projects. I am smack dab in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I had um, I didn't work on my book at all last week. Yeah, it was a, it was a very busy work week. Really busy week. Yeah. Um, I, I was working every night, I yeah. think, so after work. So, uh, yeah, so I just, and then we were gone all weekend. That's why so. she got promoted, people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm looking forward to working this week. Yeah, great. How about you? Um, I'm finished. <laughs> so today. I finished, I finished the first draft of, uh, of the book. And uh, it's really kind of creepy because when I started writing it, I gave myself a target estimate of how many words it would be. And about a third of the way through, I revised the target and I pretty much nailed the revised target. And I don't know how the hell you do that. Yeah, <laughs> how do you do that? Ser- Come on, seriously. Well, how do you, you do write that? 15 books before you do it. That's I guess. I guess. I Yeah. So yeah, the, the first draft is finished. Amazing. And uh, I'm going to take a little time off from the book, maybe a couple weeks, and then jump back into it and do a revision and then see where, see how I feel about it. Depending on how I feel after that revision, I may give it to some beta readers to look at, or I may just give it to my agent. We'll see how <laughs> I feel about it. You, of course, you're my I've, alpha reader. I've read it. I Not was... even beta. You read it before <laughs> before it's even beta. Yeah. I was, um, I don't say this lightly, truly, blown away by this book. That's why I married her people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. I was on, I was reading it um, in installments as you sent them to me. But you still haven't read the end yet. No, I haven't. I, haven't. It to you I yet. know, I know. I just and finished I, today. I finished yeah. literally this afternoon. And I was reading it on the subway and truly chapter to chapter alternating between, between crying and laughing out loud. And it was just, uh, this is a cliche, but it was a roller coaster. Um, it's like terms of endearment. It, it was real. It's real. I'm really, I'm, I'm being completely serious here. I know. Like, I think it's the and best I appreciate thing you've ever written. Oh, so. wow. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you. We will see. We'll see if the world agrees. Um, but it's a good feeling. I you know, I really, if you go back and listen to the early episodes of this podcast, I was sort of distressed and despaired of whether I would write anything at all ever again uh-huh. in my life. So now to be here, you. to be here just a few months later with a really solid draft of something I'm really happy with. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a good feeling. It's also an enormous relief because I, I really did. Yeah. You know, I, I was, I was a little scared. Yeah. I was a little scared that, that, you know, I was kind of done with. So, so this is good. This is very good. So recommended reading or what are you reading now? I want to recommend something. I was passing by a coworker's desk and she had a hard copy of Beautiful Ruins by Jess Walters. Ah. And that is one of my favorite books of, of the past few years. So I want to go ahead and give that as a recommendation because especially I think now as we're approaching summer, um, it is such a good book. It takes place. It's two dueling stories. Um, one set in California and one set on the coast of Italy. And it is just stunning. Um, and they're about 50 years apart. So, uh, anyway, so beautiful ruins, 
this is not a uh, groundbreaking re- recommendation. Um, <laughs> it was on the bestseller list, and you know it's been everywhere for the past few years. But no, there are no it. there are no rules or restrictions good. to recommended reading, good. so that's fine. Follow the masses and go read that. Book. <laughs> Follow the masses <laughs> and read Beautiful Ruins. So I'm, you know, I mentioned earlier my friend Alan Zadoff, who is a fine, fine author, who gave us a mind-blowing question that we'll talk about for the rest of our days. So I'm going to give him a shout-out and encourage everybody to read his Unknown Assassin series. The third book comes out shortly. The first two are already out. Um, And uh, it's the Unknown Assassin series. The first book was originally titled Boy Nobody, and then it was uh, retitled I Am the Weapon. And uh, go read it. It's good. It's about a, a teenage assassin. And uh, he sort of infiltrates people's lives. You know, he's, he's always the new kid in school. And he makes friends mm-hmm. with the target. And then it's usually the target. It's usually a kid's parent who has yeah. to be killed. He becomes best friends with a kid. Nice. And then goes over to your house and kills your dad. Oh, my God. And it's a really good book. And it takes some, some risks. And there are some gutsy moves in there. And uh, I applaud Alan for that. And, and uh, go read it. Nice. Go read it. So that is it for us this week, everybody. Thank you so much for listening once again. We are at writinginreallife.com. You can follow us on Twitter at WIRL Podcast. You can uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate us on iTunes. We crave stars. We live off of stars. And uh, send us feedback. Let us know what you think of the show, what we should talk about, comments, suggestions, criticisms, whatever. We would love to hear from you. Thank you so much. We'll be back next week. Thanks. Bye. Thank you.